Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. All right, all right. Diener, Diener. Zach, here we are. Back again. Tell your friend. <laughs> yes. Back, back with you. Another episode of A Little More Good. What do we got this week, Dean? Man, it's always, it's always good. We always love to jam on like things that are going on in the world or happening uh, in and around our lives and our orbit. And we were just chatting here before going, going live about uh, running. Yes. Which is probably a big shocker. <laughs> Everyone's like, "What? They were talking about running again." But Gosh. like, we've just been injured. We've we've been injured a little bit lately, and so have actually not not been running, which is maybe the true shocker. Um, a that we're not running, and B that we're like listening to our bodies and the wisdom of our friends who <laughs> can help heal us. Um, but a little like adapted a little bit, which has been cool. We've tried some new things because we're both like very. Uh, you know, active people, part of the running is like it gets the excess energy out and helps us to feel alive and embodied and sweaty, which is just like life-giving. But we've kind of like tapped into a few other different things, which has been fun. A little like home home gym workouts and stuff. And I feel stronger. I've got, I feel like my muscles, my biceps have grown. Yes. Well, I can see like... Flexing right now. People. Yeah. It's, I don't know if you can hear the muscles, but... R- rippling through the sweater. <laughs> But it is, it's really fun to do. And we've actually um, partnered up graciously with uh, a, a little a little thing you might have heard of for, for runners specifically. It's called Stronger Strides. And um, really, really cool kind of program that helps runners to achieve like exactly what the program says, Stronger Strides, a better running form, uh, some of the like fine twitch muscles and stuff that we easily neglect in workouts like Zach's always just like doing biceps I'm like yo don't forget about like <laughs> calves or no <laughs> but it's kind of it's been a cool program we're just a couple weeks in and uh it's been really fun to to tackle different activities and exercises in a way that doesn't feel necessarily like this big strenuous workout but you're like targeting muscles and stuff that you would I would typically overlook and therefore end up injured for sure, I can I can be the first to admit that I'm a bit of a lazy runner in the sense that I just go and I run. Yeah, and maybe that's why I'm injured. I'm, 
Historically, I haven't had a great warm up, warm down, stretch, do exercises that benefit your body to make you a stronger, stronger, more balanced runner. I just, if I've got 30 minutes, I'll go run for 30 minutes. If I've got an hour, I'll go run for an hour. And, um, you know, that was kind of working until recently and I, you know, injured my Achilles and I have kind of, I haven't really been running for the last six weeks now. Um, and that's the hardest part for me is like the mental headspace. I find the, the running kind of is my, my window for creativity and for clarity and, and for all of that. Um, so it's been, been a treat to do these stronger strides. Our pal Andrea Lawson, um, kind of brought us into this, mm-hmm. um, from balance in motion. And Andrea, if you don't know her, she's like one of the most badass runners that I know. She kind of helped helped me get into trail running for a while and she's just an incredible runner and person. Yeah. Um so uh with with her business partner Devin, they've um created the stronger stride platform and Dina and I have been doing the exercises, building building some some other muscles, uh and some strength that will hopefully make us stronger runners for for the long term because really the goal is to be running when we're old and gray that's the truth and uh, i don't know if my routine of no stretching no exercising will uh <laughs> get me there i feel like yeah that's that's not gonna do it for longevity i want to be the oldest marathon runner oh that'd be good yeah that'd be very good yeah so check them out stronger strides it's it's really cool you can find them on instagram just at stronger strides um and the cool thing about it is actually even before starting the program um just by watching their Instagram and the posts and stuff that they do, they, they actually show a lot of like different techniques and things you can do or say like, you know, um, different, how to target different muscles, like by doing glute bridge variations for runners or, um, the classic, you know, tight glutes, low back fatigue, certain things, ankle mobility. So you can, even just by looking at their Instagram, you can get a whole bunch of little tips and tricks on how to help with your mobility and everything. And so that's been kind of fun. And then other gym workouts, we've just been up there doing Dude, that rower, the rower, man, the rower. It's, does any, does anybody else row? That rower kills me. It's so fun. It's so good. Yeah. Like 10 minutes. I'm kind of addicted to it now. It's good. 10 minutes is like killer. You just get blasted. A little circuit, cir- circuit, some rowing, some push ups, some squats, some sit ups, yeah. throw it in there, whatever you're good to go. So try, if you have a rower, the workout we've been doing, it's basically try to do like uh, we do some warm ups, but kind of our blaster is a thousand meters in under four minutes or two thousand meters in under eight minutes. And I'm just toasted. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the finisher. It's the finisher. Yeah. Yeah. We're alternating. We, we hop on and hop off and throw any number of little workouts in there in between. So you get in cardio. So it feels like our cardio is still up, which is good when you're not running. And then uh, taking care of some of the other business too, which is cool. There we go. Yeah, but it's all, good. All right. So this week, uh, Zoe Pollock. Yeah, kind of. It's kind of a good segue, right? Speaking about like discovering, you know, new athletic experiences. Yeah. Even even as we age, she touches on that. But Zoe was it was such a cool conversation, such an amazing person. Oh yeah, we talked about so many things from refinding sport mm-hmm. as an adult, sobriety, resiliency. Um, and the artist way is always an in- incredible and accomplished uh, artist, P- 
painter, creator, designer, um, just an amazing creator as a whole. And, um, you know, she really fuses um, art and movement and spirituality into this amazing person that she is. So yeah. it, was, it was such a treat to, to share conversation. I felt like we could have chatted forever and gone in any of which direction, just, you know, point and there's, you know, something interesting to discover under the many rocks yeah. in, in Zoe's life. So good. So many points of connection too, just like within her story and, and things that we've experienced or lived or, or um, things that just really like light us up, right? Like it is that curiosity around sobriety and athletics and spirituality and creativity and art and all wrapped up in this package of just like a genuinely humble and wonderful person. Like it was so fun to have that conversation and see where it went. She's a basketball player. We got to shoot some hoops hoops with her. Yes. You recently came out of retirement. Ooh, I sure did. How'd that good. go? It was fun. It was good. I, I survived. It was like uh, teach, at the high school I, I teach at, they had a grade 12, grade 12 high team versus the teachers. Heard you got some baskets. It was good. And you know what? Not to got like this was, this was last week, although time is irrelevant in the podca- podcasting verse. But it was last week, and uh, even this morning, a couple of students showed up, and they were like, "Yo, man, Mr. Moore's like, you, you really could like, you know how to ball." They were still talking about it. I was like, Whew. "You know, they probably just like jonesing for a better mark." Yeah, but uh, must have felt good. It felt good. I was like, "I'll take it." I, I still remember <laughs> you from grade twelve basketball, Dean, forced to be reckoned with. Yes, yes. Like, that guy can't be under eighteen. He's he's a man child. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. But so cool, so cool because anyway, like, yeah, it was so much fun. But recognizing, you know, the way we take up space, obviously, as men and basketballers and all this, but hearing Zoe share about her kind of adventure back into it and and how she helped others, like, see themselves in a new light was super cool. And, like, that was one of the takeaways for me from this conversation is, like, how how are the people around me, you know, shaping my experience and helping me to see where I stand and what I have uh, in, in a different light? And I, I thought that was that was so beautiful and creative and true in the way she kind of like pulled that out just by sharing stories about jumping back on the basketball court with a bunch of dudes. Yeah. All right. Zoe Pollock, the student, the seeker, the teacher. Let's go. Here it is. All right. All right. We're sitting here with our friend Zoe Pollock. Welcome. Hi. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So excited to chat. I feel like we have so much to talk about. I feel like in some ways, like uh, the three of us could be three musketeers between basketball, soccer, <laughs> running, art, spirituality. Like uh, there's yeah. just like a lot of synergy and, and shared belief. And yeah. I feel like we can go in so many directions and I'm excited as to where this conversation can and will go. Yeah, me too. So thanks for, for coming down to Sunny Houston and, and uh, joining us for this conversation today. Yeah, yeah. happy to be here. Dean's here too. Yeah. Hello, hello everyone. As usual, <laughs> tagging along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But maybe, maybe we uh, get started with uh, like a little bit of origins. Like, you know, there is so many things that we could just jump in and talk to right away. Um, but it's always fun to know for the guests or the listeners uh, that aren't familiar with you, your work or what you uh, are up to in the world to know, like, how did you... What's the story that got you to this point here today in, in however small or great a detail you would share? Like what was what was young Zoe like that grew up to be who you are now? Well, I grew up in White Rock 
um, British Columbia, and I'm uh, now based in Vancouver, and I've spent some portions of my life in uh, Mexico, South America, and um, two larger chunks of my life in Montreal. So those are the cities that have kind of come to influence um, where I'm at. And um, I have two teenagers, so that largely influences a big chunk of my life. They're 13 and 15. And I attended school at Langley Fine Arts High School. And um, previous to that, I was able to do an exchange in South America when I was 14 years old, which was a formative part of my teen years. Went on to do art school in Langley um, at a public school system uh, that was specialized. And then went on to go to Concordia for a couple years and study art. And, um, and then spent two years in Halifax, some time in Mexico, and then uh, back here to have my children, Montreal for four years, and then back here now for three. So settled in <laughs> and uh, locked, you know, in here for a while. My kids want to stay here for a while, so I see myself here for the next little while. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. If you could say, like, one of those chapters or experiences or countries left, like, um, a significant imprint, could you name one, or is it kind of all of them left, like, kind of an indelible mark on you? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that the going to, to South, to live in, in an all-girl, like I went to an all-girls private Catholic school in okay. Spanish at the age of 14, and I paid my own way, and I was determined to go. And previous to that, I had um, suffered severe depression to the point that I had tried to take my own life. And I was so, to be aware of that you're so down and out that you needed to get out of where you were at in order to kind of save your own life. Mm-hmm. Um, that was such a, an important turning point in my life. Um, and also it was actually an act of entrepreneurship, I think. I think it was my first entrepreneurial endeavor in that my dad said if I could save enough money for my ticket, I could go. And wow. so it was like he dangled the carrot and I was like, oh, I am going. Amazing. So there was this like act of determination that was associated with um, something that I've come to know as like a way of being that I, like I'm still like wired for that um, mm-hmm. in my work and have been able to like make a living essentially out of like thinking about something, thinking it into being, and then imagining that it's possible and then doing it. Power of manifestation. <laughs> I like it. I and like babysitting it. money. And babysitting yeah. money. Yeah, that, that's big money. That's back, big you know? money. Yeah. Yeah. But at 14, yeah. to kind of have that, you know, wherewithal to say, okay, this is something that I need to do for myself. And then like actually follow through is pretty huge, right? To, and, and it's not like a, a, a little thing. No. Like it's moving across the world <laughs> to like a whole new environment, country, language. Was there, had you heard about this school? Like what was, what was the draw? Like if you knew you wanted to go there, what was the, what was pulling you there? Because yeah. it's pretty wild for a 14 year old <laughs> to say they want to go to school in Chile and then follow through and do it on their own accord. Yeah, yeah it's pretty wild. I, so looking back, because my daughter's 15 right now and she's made some of her own decisions in the last little while that I'm like, that's crazy. Or like, you're out of your mind. And then my mom's like, you were doing the exact, like, you know, you, <laughs> yeah. this is not that wild. So um, my uncle lived there and he was married to a Chilean woman and um, she was an artist. And so for some reason, I got that in my brain that it was somewhere far away that I could go that would be exotic and interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, the hardest part, which you mentioned, it was, I was far away. I had to, to, I had no cell phone. We had to take three or four buses to get my braces tightened. Like there was a lot of complications to it. I, I actually played basketball down there. That's where I 
that was my origin story for how I started to play basketball because I was like a thousand feet tall compared <laughs> right. to all of the other like 14 year old Chilean girls and right. so um I that sport found me there which was so wonderful but the hardest part about it besides the homesickness of being away from my family was the language being full-time in a in a language I didn't speak at all um was so tiring if you've ever traveled somewhere where you it's exhausting mm -hmm. by the end of the day you're just like oh my gosh functioning in this language is it was really really hard so you came back and you changed you went to a fine, fine arts high fine school, art high school yeah. following that so you I mean a lot of people you know take a art class in high school you know myself included and uh and kind of dabble in it that way but not many people kind of step into that path at such a young age especially seeing now you know you're living professionally as an artist and yeah you kind of started that journey yeah in high school so you you came back from Chile and, and you're like I want I want to be a painter I want to continue to pursue this creative path I don't think I ever really knew I wanted to be a painter officially until I was around 18 when I saw Rothko's cool. in uh, London but I knew that I wanted to go to a different high school that was an alternative program to what mm -hmm. I, I had been used to I just didn't want to go back to where I was so mm -hmm. uh, I had the wherewithal to kind of get to do that and all that like all of this was only possible because my parents were open-minded and supportive and the like the amount of work that it, you know the carpooling and the, all that it that it took for them required of them to allow me to make that happen was just so awesome mm -hmm. yeah it sounds like you had Super clear lucky. intention from a very young age though. yeah for sure uh, another story like starting in your your adolescence or your, your teenage years um i heard you speak of finding God at a young age, find, finding God at 12 or, yeah. or something like that, having a spiritual experience and having that awakening at such a young age. Yeah. So uh, can you kind of speak on that? Yeah, I would say that was my first conscientious, conscious kind of contact and and um, surrender to, to that. And so for all of my life uh, since I was 12, I've known a companionship with God. And so it was very much a, um, a born-again, kind of crying, cathartic, joyful, uh, Holy Spirit kind of moment. There was a lot of hallelujah and clapping and music. Um, but, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to um, be introduced to uh, a really radical left-wing feminist Jesus at a very young age. My parents always took us to these churches that um, were introduced us to um, a a type of Christianity that I don't think anybody well, like a lot of people are familiar with when they think of Christianity they think of um, sort of everything from like dominant powers to to negative forces to abuse of power to massive churches with lots of money and so on and so forth I was introduced to um, this Jesus that came nomadic and poor and was radical he came to abolish the law in order to bring love to the people and he sat with the people in the dirt this is what i i know and this is what's been historically recorded about this human being who mm -hmm. came to us in the flesh and a lot of people don't know that he was he was a real person who walked in, on earth and um the divinity of that is is um uh, open for interpretation obviously but um i was really fortunate to be introduced to that at a young age so i've always felt this companionship this real sense that i um 
that I belong and that I'm loved. And I've, I've moved far away from that at times in my life. I've felt unworthy and, um, you know, I've struggled with alcoholism and, uh, and many different points in my life. I'm not saying it was like bright and shiny from that moment. I've definitely like dipped into the darkness, but at every point, at every turn, I felt like I had a kinship and, uh, um, someone that I could kind of uh, come to and, and know that would hold me, you know, that I, I participate in something that's not just here and now, and that's not just here on planet earth for, for a, a short time. So mm. yeah, it's really opened and widened since then. My, my sense of spirituality has been, you know, expanded far beyond that one experience, but it definitely was a starting point. That's very cool. That's very cool. Do you, um, did your family, like, was that something that you grew up, that your, your parents were taking you, so that was a regular occurrence in your house, or was that something that you wanted to have an experience with and said in a similar way, like, I want to go to this school? Was it like, I want to experience spirituality, or was that something you grew up with from, like, a very young age? When we were young, yeah, we, we would go on Sundays, and it was like a community activity, too. It was like soup kitchens and public service. My, I come from a family of, like, um, sort of left-wing social activists, and um, our, 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 our growing up, um, the way the church was taught to us from a young age, from like my grandparents' generation was that, um, we were to be of service to people so mm-hmm. that we didn't come here just to take, we, we came here so that we could, um, you know, holiness was still here, you know, in the here and now. And it, um, that Jesus came, you know, to help the poor. That mm-hmm. was a big message in my family. So, um, when I was a teen, we were allowed to choose. Yeah, my brother was like, fuck that, I'm out of here. You know? yeah. <laughs> he was like, peace out. Yeah. And uh, my, bro- my younger brother was a little bit sort of in between, but I just couldn't get enough of it. I wanted more youth group and more conversations with mentors and more like spirituality and, you know, and then have come to like do yoga and know lots of friends of different faiths and, you know, kind of walked various walks throughout my time here since then. All right, so... You're still in high school. You've experienced God. You've <laughs> lived in Chile. <laughs> like you've lived more of a life than most people live in a hundred years. And like yeah. your first, you know, <laughs> before you graduate high school. Yeah. But just to kind of hang out on that spirituality for a little bit before we kind of get into your life as, uh, as an artist. Um, and I'm sure they all intersect and weave together. But uh, how has your spirituality and faith evolved um, since then? guess that's a lofty question but let's let's kind of explore your spirituality for a bit and kind yeah of well I'm fortunate I mean we're all fortunate here on the west coast we're introduced to so many different modalities for healing I yes. think that we don't realize like even even in Montreal it's so much less so so um I always say in Montreal it kind of feels I've lived there in two periods of my life sort of in my early 20s and then mid to late 30s I got sober in Montreal uh, at around 35 36 years old and I also lived there um, yeah in my sort of 20 to 22 23 and uh, in during both of those periods I I noticed what a difference um, because I always say they kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater so they said no to the church but then they kind of are still trying to to like hobble together and and build something that resembles some something like a faith mm-hmm. and it's harder to find those kinds of resources whereas here on the west coast we have access to all different different types of yoga or um you know psychedelics and and lots of different stuff so i would say that just exposure from being mm-hmm. here in bc i have lots of friends who facilitate um you know psilocybin journeys and so forth some of our mutual friends and um, yeah, so just that, that level of exposure has just like opened my mind. 
different ways to experience God. Yeah. I remember a conversation I had with Dean, and maybe maybe you'll resonate with this. We're often when we go for runs, we'll kind of have these que- uh, conversations of spirituality where I'll, you know, ask Dean questions, and he'll, uh, you know, <laughs> give me his best answer, and we'll kind of explore those and. We were talking about, uh, I was sharing my, my spiritual beliefs and how I grew up, and he was sharing his, and um, we were talking about one of my close family friends is like a, um, a spiritual channeler of sorts, and and her description of, of God is one thing, and, and Dean, Dean's and, and Christianity is, is this, you know, similar, similar um, kind of breakdown, and Dean was kind of sharing the story of these, these blind men that were touching an elephant and one was you know touching the tail and describing the tail and one was touching the foot and describing the foot another was touching the the tusk and describing that and they were all such different descriptions but they were describing the same mm-hmm. thing and, That's beautiful. and uh, I just uh, I mean I'm telling your story Dean but <laughs> I just love that and and kind of hearing what you're saying about BC and the West Coast, there are so many modalities of faith and belief and spirituality, and yeah. I think there's a lot of intersection, and and um, I think there's power in, in having a faith or in having some sort of spiritual connection. It, it kind of uh, can carry over to so much more than so, so many other aspects of your life and how you interact with community and all yeah. of that. Definitely. Yeah, and add this layer of richness that is just infinite. I, I just find it infinitely interesting. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating, like this added layer of uh, infinite curiosity that you can apply to why we're here, what we're doing here, and um, yeah, how you can love people, um, you can be called back to service, and that return, 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 that we get to come back again and again and again, and um, that you can come back to God infinity amounts of times, and yes. there's infinity approaches, and mm-hmm. I love that metaphor of describing different things. I think it's just so exciting that we're invited. Like, in this lifetime, I'm so thankful that I've been invited to to any form of getting to know God and that that I was invited to that just feels so special. That's so cool. Yeah. And I think it's that the invitation is always there. And it's like how tuned in are we or like in in what ways or to what are we paying attention to? And you know, people have said when they're curious, they're like, what is like the job of like a spiritual person or like a pastor or a spiritual leader? I was like, honestly just like to pay attention, mm-hmm. to pay attention to the things that are very easily missed and like the nudges or nuances of spirit or, you know, ground of being or God or whatever the word is people use for it and just say like how you show up in the world depends on like how much you're paying attention to those things. Mm-hmm. And it can be like really intangible, but the times and places in my life where I've like been able to slow down and block out the noise and hear or sense or just trust that mm-hmm. this is like where I should be stepping into have always been the moments of like most significant impact for me or for others or just like a really deep learning or meaningful experience with God. Yeah. And it's so profound and it can be with a, in a room full of people, um, reading a book, going on a run or a hike and like looking at where we get to live nature right yeah. or experiencing yeah so just like good. the the physical feeling of like completing something that's difficult like a marathon or even a yoga class <laughs> and laying there at the end and being like oh yes this is a reminder that i love that you work through the whole class 
and in some ways like the whole point is like to get towards that shavasana where you just lay there and do nothing yeah and i remember one teacher saying it's like the whole journey is like the journey towards death Mm. and the practice is the preparation for shavasana and life is like the preparation for death and i was like it was like a holy moment yeah right and so i love that there's all those modalities in there and if we're looking and seeking and open like god spirit divinity shows up yeah and is always it's not that shows up isn't even the right word because it's like yeah god is ever absent from wherever we are it's just like when do we tune into that yeah yeah that's beautiful it reminded me of um, Mary Mary Oliver. You know, she says, "Be in awe and just tell about it." You know, and yes. that's like what that when I get to talk about spirituality, that's how I feel. It's just I got to be here. I got to observe it, and I got to come that much more alive. And then I got to tell about it. You know, which is just so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find Do you find uh, because we are in such a unique place here in the Lower Mainland of Vancouver, and there are so many modalities. And a lot of people, in my experience, a lot of people have an understanding or picture or perhaps caricature of like church, Jesus, Christianity. Do you find uh, that you're often like articulating like I'm not this or I'm not that? (laughs) That's a great question. If people find out like, you know, oh yeah, I'm like, I do yoga, I do this, but I'm also like, you know, someone who ascribed to like the Christian faith or I understand like following in the way of Jesus. And people are like, wait, but what? Yeah, I mean, I don't come to that house of worship that often anymore. And so, but I, but I, and I, I would say I have Christian roots. Like, and I, on the last time I was interviewed, I, he kept trying to ask, you know, get me to say that I was a Christian or not. Right. Yes. And it's like, I don't really like, well, and, and, you know, like, what does that like, even mean? Like, yeah. But yeah. also it's just like, it's so wrought with, it's so, um, loaded. It's so, it's so, um, dangerous like it's so it's it has this horrible past too Mm. and this and this horrible present i was gonna say and and present let's not we don't have to go that far right yeah and so it's um so yeah it's but i think that um i see a spiritual restlessness sometimes in people when they haven't chosen one thing like i love the devotion of you know my spiritual or my my financial planners like they have a practice uh, it's a different faith and they but they have this commitment to going to this place with these people at these times and these types of acts of service these types of prayer and there's a calmness to them not this frenetic fr- frantic frantic kind of um, seeking and searching and always kind of questioning and always wondering and always asking. I think there's a calm that can come with kind of just picking something mm-hmm. and moving on with it, <laughs> you know, like stay open. Sure. But like, there's something kind of wonderful about that too. So yeah, I, I've spent a lot of time and I, I, I call it like the C word sometimes Christianity. Like sometimes I'm just like, Oh my God, because it's just like, mm-hmm. you have to spend like 89% of that conversation being like, I'm not this and I yeah. don't believe this and I don't support this and blah, blah, blah. So yeah. it's kind of like, it can be yeah. more, more work than it's worth. So yeah. as I always say, like back when we could go to like house parties or dinner parties or something like that, it's like, depending on how much I wanted to be an extrovert that night, it's like, yeah. I just lead with like, yeah, I'm a vegan and I'm a pastor. And then most people are either like, okay, bye. Stay away from <laughs> yeah. you. <You're> yeah. <laughs> or awesome. there's like the one or two that are like, wait, what? And they just like want to <laughs> go the distance with mm-hmm. you. Right. And ask her they, yeah, they, everyone has a story. That's what I find. Yeah. And you know, most of them are not super positive. Yeah. So I find that I, I spend a lot of time just like as someone who is like more officially representative of, Mm-hmm. of the church right leading and playing that role that i play like i find i do a lot of like sincere apologizing 
on behalf of yeah and saying like that thing that was said or that action that was taken in the name of this most beautiful loving person who represented everything that god should represent like that should never have been done to you in the name of that thing yeah. right and it's just it's heartbreaking but it's the reality that we're in right that yeah. people want to make god really small and they want to be really certain and i was like that's the opposite of what you should be doing like certainty totally. certainty and spirituality like no that's like oil and water they don't mix you can't be certain you, you said one thing zoe that uh, on one of your previous podcasts i was listening to and you said uh it relates to what dean's saying um the closer you get to god uh the more time you spend creating a space for mystery mm-hmm. something along those lines and i love yeah. just that having space for mystery because that to me is so exciting yeah well that kind of speaks to what um what i've come to get to know most recently in the past year has been my relationship to control and being controlling Mm -hmm. so i think a lot of people are suffering from wanting to be in control and um, using their mm, ways they've come to control their time or their appearance or their, you know, um, parent, you know, helicopter parenting, whatever ways that people wanna control things. Um, and in the past couple of years, as we've like spun what, what feels like more and more out of control, um, we, you know, I've had to come to get to know um, just how much I can control and how much I can't. and. In the same breath, I want to participate in the bigger, larger, vast, expansive, um, wonderful mystery of life. This mysterious, like infinite, you know, love that I think is all around, that I suspect. And but if I am controlling my parking meter and my kids and my, you know, dentist appointments mm-hmm. and my, I don't know, whatever, then um, I'm going to miss out, you know. And so those two things, they they come to kind of they tend to be in conflict with one another. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I want to get to know the mystery more and more. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that just kind of hearing that a lot of us are so controlling that we don't give space to the possibility of mystery. You got five minutes, you're scrolling on your Instagram or your phone. You got, you know, 10 minutes to go from one place. You're tuned in to, you got your AirPods on. Like, uh, not that long ago, like when we all grew up, like, you know, there was times where you'd be bored and you'd have to you know come up with thoughts on your own when you're bored or create you know your own games or whatever that kind of space just gave room for so much possibility and we're so controlling that we need to fill all that space now but that's where the mystery lives and in mystery there's possibility and so many other exciting things so yeah totally but it requires like a conscious one yeah like an unplugging of of sorts right Mm -hmm. which is i find very difficult and um a real surrender you know if you're gonna if you're gonna you want the the beautiful mystery of being at the top of a mountain at a sunset okay well then you also have to take the blows that come with like the mysterious turns of life that don't feel as comfortable and Mm -hmm. i think um, mystery can, that word is problematic in that it can kind of be romanticized, right? Okay, but the blows of life yeah. were also, we, they, we literally, by definition, they, we weren't expecting them. They mm-hmm. were mysteries. So accidents that happens, ch- your child gets sick, d- bad sicknesses, car accidents, these things, these, these were, were wild cards that, you, that were, came at you, you know? And so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot to kind of take in all at once and be like, yes, I'm going to commit to a life that just follows like, whatever kind of comes my way 
Yeah, so the mystery can have the highs and it can have the lows and um yeah, the possibility can go either way. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes those highs are the lows and the lows are the highs <laughs> and we don't know until hindsight. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. true. All right. So you went to a fine art high school and then you went to um got your BFA um in Nova Scotia and in Montreal? Yeah, the mix. I split the two up and then I did a little exchange in Mexico too. So yeah, I got a good good BFA under my belt. <laughs> some did some got, art. Got a few of those, yeah. you know, if it's jiu-jitsu, you got a few stripes on your belt <laughs> totally. in school. So then you're you're out of school, you're pursuing the life of an artist and uh, all of a sudden you're having a baby. Yeah, <laughs> got <laughs> pregnant. Um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, that, that happened. And then, um, from that though, I mean, I got to, I waitressed till I was seven and a half months pregnant. I was 24 years old. And then I got, I just had to kind of become an artist. So a lot of people are like, how did you do it? And I'm like, well, I had to, (laughs) you know? And it was like kind of a blessing because like that I'd never had another job. So I've never really had a real adult job and, and I feel very fortunate. I've been working full time as an artist for 20, uh, 16 years. So supporting myself and my family at times or being supported by my partner through various times but like you know done it all okay I have so many questions from there one I think one thing um that we're a lot of us are are lacking in today's society is resiliency Mm. and uh just having that resiliency as a as a young woman um that you know is pursuing a professional career and pregnant and having young children at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk to your resiliency and, and what resilience means to you? Yeah, I mean, there's kind of two way. like I sort of have two chapters of my life. Like I've been sober for five and a half years. So, t- so right now, resiliency to me is like staying sober and then conscientious practices for like being a better human. So th- those don't mm-hmm. involve alcohol, but in a strange way, like, um, alcohol um, in the early when my kids were young and I was in that much uh, stress and pressure and financial pressure and pressure in our household and little toddlers and we had no dishwasher no car no nanny no you know we were just kind of scraping stuff together and um, you know that you know resiliency I'll put the word in quotations um, was you know, just a tenacity. We just had to hold on. We were, we were like in fight or flight and we just were like scraping, strapping things together and (laughs) trying to do the best we could. And, um, you know, so that looked a lot different than it does now. Uh, now it's sort of like cold plunges and conscientious choices. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's, just, it's different. A thread of resilience. <laughs> but it kind of, you know what? It's like, I, you know, we say, you know, with alcoholism, with alcohol, it's like it works until it doesn't. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like it, I have a reverence, a strange reverence for it because it like got me through. It's like a life raft that like okay, it was a $7, two liter of cider, but you know, that (laughs) somehow kind of got me through to the next day. And it wasn't the best choice in hindsight, but there was kind of this determination to it that is, is strange. Um, but it, it was what I was, it was the medicine I was using at Mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Gabor Mate compassionately introduced us to that idea that we were self-medicating. And Mm -hmm. so I I was doing the best I could with what I had. And if we can look at back at, at, at anything like at, 
you know, our parents or whatever we need to do in order to have some shape or form or, or way of moving to or through forgiveness, then, you know, however that ha- can come forward, you know, it's like the, the only way forward is through forgiveness. And so mm-hmm. that had to include a whole shit ton of a for- forgiveness towards myself mm-hmm. for that time. And also like a kind of compassionate look at the alcohol itself as like a means to an end, you know, which is, it sounds a little counterintuitive, but it's true. But I think there's such like honesty in that though, because most people would, would want to very, yeah, very simply to say that, well, that was like bad. Mm-hmm. And that was, and, and say like, I've, I've moved past that. I was that, but I'm not anymore. And like, it can almost for someone in, who's still in that place, in that place could feel like, ah, oh, like I'm bad. Mm-hmm. But for someone to say like, no, like it works until it doesn't. Like that's just honest and real because there's someone struggling right now and they're like, but this is what's working. And they might know like it's got a limited time, a limited lifespan on that being the thing that yeah. works. But yeah, it's it's easy to look back and just say that was all bad and you know, I'm so much better than I was now or totally. now than I was yeah. then. But I think that there's something really important about being like those phases shape us and we can say, yeah, I wouldn't do that now. But in that moment, like that's kind of yeah. what got me through. Totally. Yeah. I love, I use this a lot with my kids and I love this for myself as well. It's like, know better, do better. So mm. now that we know better, yes, we can do better. Yes. Okay. So tomorrow we're going to make a different decision or we're even going to try and make a better decision. But, you know, it may or may not work. And this view through which we see things, this compassionate inquiry, mm. what was that 27 year old young woman going through up she really was doing the best that she could now it's a it's a double-edged sword we have to take personal responsibility but you know I love that Rumi quote when you say like that's bad and this is good um when we get a sort of a more mature level of spirituality and and if we want to be of service to other people who are struggling which is what I hear you saying I never I, I will, I never want someone to feel that I'm judging them. My, my purpose in life is to help another alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And so if anyone ever wants to come to me and they do often, I, my saying like I was there and I have zero judgment is the gateway often, you yeah. know? And so it's like, I never want to be that person. It's like that Rumi quote that's like out beyond a field of right and wrongdoing like I'll meet you there. Yeah. I want to meet you there. I I don't I don't have any interest in meeting you in a place where I'm judgmental of what yeah. I did myself like yeah. so but I first have to find a lot of compassion for myself, right? Yeah. And it's 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 tough too because like I was the one putting the bottle to my lips and my kids suffered. Mm-hmm. So, so there is it's a it's a fine line though. You have to take some accountability and mm-hmm. look no better, do better and also be able to look back and make amends. Amazing. I love that um, quote you said about Rumi. Can you say that one more time? I just want to like simmer it for a second. (laughs) I hope I get it right exactly what it says. Out beyond a field of right and uh, out beyond a field of right do right and wrongdoing there's a field i will meet you there i want to go to that field <laughs> yeah. right? beyond just, right and wrongdoing there's a field i will meet you there i just kind of picture like what's that like movie from our, our younger days like field of dreams or yeah something like that. totally like, i just picture this field in the middle of nowhere where like there's no judgment and there's just totally like, 
like acceptance and like isn't that where we all need to be yes. well it's actually what i realized it's it's actually where we need to start mm. so it's, it's actually i'm inviting you to the field yeah. we'll start there yes. yeah right but there's so much more work to do out there yeah but we can't just kind of float around in the, in the <laughs> way that we would like to out there yeah yeah i'm just going <laughs> there to hang out i'm sorry <laughs> I hate like to, zach you can't like, hang out here yeah. this is the starting place yeah. yeah and then we can like have those harder conversations yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah. it is it's so important that people know that there, there is such a place, yeah. right? And that, like, I mean, I'm even thinking back to the conversation we were having about spirituality and, and faith and how, you know, um, oftentimes, like, churches should be safe places for people to come to because it's founded on forgiveness. And, you know, the, the radical pioneer at the heart of Christian faith was this, like, welcoming of the stranger, foreigner, outsider, outcast, untouchable, right? And yet the religion that's often formed and, and followed in his name is like, oh, no, you got to clean your act up before you can like. Yeah. Come. And it's just so backwards. And just that idea of there is a place I'll meet you there. And like that's where that's where like life can begin is from this place. But know that like there's no judgment and you know, I'll, I will see you for who you are and we will yeah. move forward together. Yeah. Like that is so totally. beautiful. That's that's the picture of like arriving fully and being like, this is who I am, warts and all. And someone saying, I see you and I accept you. Yeah. Now let's go. Yeah. Like, let's go together. Totally. Yeah. And luckily we're at a place like, in a, that's why I love the ages that we're at because you just come as you are. If you want to come to my dinner party and you're having a, a tough time and you're broken, you come anyways. Yeah. And if you feel like crying, then we just stop the dinner party and we'll give you a hug and hang out and you're our priority, right? Mm -hmm. So when we were younger, we had to shine it up and clean it up and fix it up and had, like everything had to be kind of like zipped up and perfect. And I've, I realized I actually suffered from that, like from about 25 to 35 till I got sober. A lot of it had to do with like the perception of how people saw me because they mm. saw me as having it all together from the outside. Hmm. This artist so, with this yeah, beautiful totally. family that's successful. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it's like a lot of pressure. Yes. Yeah. And what it was was that the inside didn't match the outside. And so that incongruency that uh, that would eventually became a hypocrisy that I couldn't live with in myself. It was so tiring. It was like t like constantly trying to have to make the inside match the outside was like this like Herculean feat, you know, mm. and it was like it was impossible. Just and it was so tiring. Look like you're being yourself. Totally, exactly. And it was still, you know, it's like as a starting place for like, you know, an, as an expenditure of energy. It was an, an incredible amount of energy that I had to expend in order to kind of, um, you know, eventually, I mean, it's a progressive disease. So you, there's a spectrum of, of alcohol use and you, uh, we find ourselves anywhere along that spectrum, you know, Holly Whitaker from Hip Sobriety and the Tempest introduced us to that kind of language and is a wonderful writer. And that's how I first got sober was I found Holly's work and, um, you know, it's, she, she was the one who coined the term dry curious, which mm -hmm. I know you talked about with um, in your interview with Fiona Heffer from Sensorium. And um, so it, like bless Holly for introducing us to this whole other type of language that we're able to kind of now contemporary language that we're able to step into. Yeah. So, so was there like a, a rock bottom that you hit or was it just a realization that this was no longer serving you? So it's so interesting that you say that. So um, Holly uh, at the time had, what was called hip sobriety and it had a manifesto on the first page and number one they were numbered and it said number one you do not need to hit rock bottom in order to quit drinking and i was like oh all right well <laughs> yeah that sounds good like because yeah. i'd rather do that than because i would say i was kind of in the middle way you yes. know i was 
functioning. But, yeah, and it was like, oh, I'd love to not hit rock bottom. I was like, well, what's number two? Let's yeah. like move on. I was yeah. like, check. <laughs> you know, yes. it was exciting. I was like, yes. Yeah. So, because I could see what a rock bottom would look like, mm-hmm. and I was like, why would it require like me to have, get in, a, you know, have my kid to go through something or a car accident or something Time horrible to have that? Like, why couldn't I just flick the switch myself and yes. then, you know? And I got you know sick and tired of being sick and tired essentially. So. Um, yeah, it was a. I was luck. I was thankful that I found that at the time that I did. And and when you found sobriety, or, or you know, started the path of sobriety, did you fill that space with new habits, or what did that? I mean, we talked about space earlier for for mystery, but that space of sobriety. Um, what did what did that look like? You're gonna be you're gonna be happy about this. You both are. Um, a girlfriend downstairs on my place in Montreal. I was because I got sober in Montreal. She invited me to start to play in a women's basketball league, and I nice. hadn't played basketball since I was 14 in Chile. And so I still play like a 14 year old. I'm like tall, gangly. Like I don't really know the rules. I like I would coach, and they'd be like, "Where's the key?" And I'm like, "Just, I mean, it's roughly here. Like, just go out there and have fun, you know? Like, I'm I'm a really good coach. I can only coach up to like grade six, and then in grade seven, I'm like, I'm not sure how to do a layup, you know? Yeah. They will teach you. Yeah, the rules. totally. I'm like. <laughs> um, but uh, like basketball refound me like I refound adult sport and that was just such a such a fun pleasure you know it was just such an enjoyable companion during that time and uh, yeah so I was super stoked I, I fill my life with a lot of different practices now but but basketball on Saturdays was like a big part of that healing journey that's you, awesome yeah through sport yeah and movement yeah, yeah, totally. And like refinding, I mean, th- I think for all of us, like sobriety aside, but like refinding different parts of yourself. Like mm-hmm. I would be like enthusiastic and the cheerleader and like bring the snacks or like whatever, whatever like parts of yourself that you were like, oh, that's cool. Like my basketball fashion or like different types of music that we'd listen to while we were playing. And um, at some point I ended up um, challenging myself. What I really wanted to learn how to do was play pickup with guys because I found I would go to courts like if I was traveling in Venice, a beach or different areas for work, I would be too shy and not good enough to go and like play pickup with guys. And it felt dangerous. And so these guys like pre-pandemic took me under their wing and we'd play early mornings at uh, the community center. And it was really fun. So I was fortunate enough to be able to to expand that here in BC, which was great. That's super cool. That's amazing. I was lucky. I love what uh, movement can can bring to us, and uh, like I'm such an advocate of sport and what that's taught me. Yeah, I think in, in playing sports growing up and as an adult, it just like small achievements always gave me confidence to try things like beyond sport that I didn't think were possible. And and like you were saying, like it may have seemed intimidating or dangerous to play basketball with with the guys with the boys, um, but you soon found that's possible. And I, I'm curious, like how that kind of bled to other spilled over to other parts of your life yeah that's so it's like one of my favorite topics it's like you never get to talk about how what happens on the court how it's a teacher for what's happening off of the court yes, and yes. vice versa like how you bring like I brought a lot to those guys and oh, Nick is someone that is a mutual friend you guys interviewed as well Nick was one of those dudes Scott Sumi who's an artist and um Andrew Drew um from IO Detox yeah. as oh, well oh you play basketball with Drew yeah it was Amazing. so oh my gosh. fun we have to play so we will play and but but I, 
bless, <laughs> like awesome. bless those guys yeah. because they were so patient with me. Yeah. And they have to be gentle. You have to be careful. I don't yeah. care what woman is playing. Like yeah. they, you guys are so much stronger. And so, you know, like just the, the way that they had to move to accommodate me and um, what I brought to that court in terms of, enthousi- again, enthusiasm, um, joy, humor, grace, a sense of like lightheartedness, mm-hmm. like no one was allowed to take themselves too seriously. And then the way in which when someone else would come, uh, they would protect me and like, they'll be like, no, no, I'll be her check so that, you know, and it was really hu- It was humbling though. I'll tell you that yeah. in terms of metaphors to go to something once a week where you were a hundred percent the worst, like the worst there tie up your shoelaces and literally get on the court and do that it was very good for me because Mm -hmm. i i tend to move in circles where i'm like more articulate or more able-bodied or more powerful and it's like it was very good for me it was a good practice and those guys really made that possible that's probably something we all need to pursue is like step out and be courageous to do something we suck at right or in comparison to the people that are around us because yeah it's like you, we tend to just stay away from those zones. When we're a kid, we try all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. And it's good. And then we get to an age where we're like, well, that's going to be embarrassing. So I'm yeah. not going to do that. Yeah. But the, the power of, of being able to try and not be good at something and then not give up, but just yeah. to keep pursuing it and being there because it does something for you. Or like you said, I love the idea of bringing something to those guys and like, how did that shift them? Sure. In the way they were playing, but like, what are, what are the, even the lessons that they took off the court from that of like how to be in the presence of someone else or navigate around other people that are operating in like different levels or different zones and being like, oh yeah, I need to be aware of not everyone's where I'm at or thinking what I'm thinking. I would ask them to pause all the time. I would be, do you see any women here? Do you see any women on this court? Have you ever? Well, I've never, you guys play basketball four or five times a week. Who, what other women do you play with? Or I'd bring other women, right? And then we'd, they'd have to kind of put up with whoever, you know, I'd kind of bring. And, or there was no children on the court. There yeah. was no old people on the court. There was no people with, you know, everybody was able-bodied. Like, th- nobody, it's like, you know, come on, guys. Like, mm-hmm. this, and so that, it was so, it was so healthy, you mm-hmm. know, because, and I, I'm guilty of it all the time. Like, I do, it de- definitely, like, has helped, like, shift how I, I'm like, oh, God, I am guilty of that, too. I got to integrate my life a little bit more all the time, make Mm -hmm. a conscious effort. Mm -hmm. So is there somewhere that you're currently trying something new that's out of your comfort zone? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I'm writing a pilot, and I was telling someone, I was talking about it the other night at my book club, and while I was writing, so I've written it about two-thirds, and I've got someone to help me in L.A. who's going to help me finish the rest to the end, which is something called a, a show Bible, so it's what you have to kind of put forward to pitch. So you've got the pilot fully written out and then kind of just chunking out the rest of the stories, deep character studies, blah, blah, blah. And a log line and all these, like it has ingredients. It's like, yes. a, it's like making a cake. There's like, you have, there's instructions and you have to like follow them. And, and so I had like, when I was writing it, I was like Googling literally like how to write a screenplay on the one laptop and like writing the thing <laughs> on the other, beca- but it's super hard. Cause you're like, you're not in flow. There was no flow state. Cause I was just like, <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> make the character sound interesting. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I was like, interesting character was funny. Like I just, yeah. it was just me by myself. Like writing is the worst. It's like the loneliest, hardest. 
I don't know if you've seen Elizabeth Gilbert's talk, TED talk of the, the elusive creative genius. She talks about like the misery, essentially. Like it's, it's so difficult. Mm-hmm. Like some of my favorite books are like Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott or like uh, Natalie Goldberg's um, Writing Down the Bones. But they, they really, those two books, for example, just talk about just sitting down and writing. Like the sheer... Um, like loneliness mm-hmm. of writing is mm-hmm. just it's just miserable so the reason I'm writing a pilot is hopefully I can do it like more of the other parts with humans other because people, I yeah. want to like do stuff like I'm very ice I'm like I'm pretty introverted in terms of some of I present like an extrovert but I like like running alone reading meditating but I I like extroverting as well and so I'm hoping that I can hit kind of like a sweet spot because painting is very quiet you know, mm-hmm. I've got a showroom, I've got staff, I've made it as human as possible. I, c- I connect with my clients and stuff. So I've, I've integrated as many human beings into that career as is humanly possible, but it has a limit. I'm still painting like 20 to 30 hours a week by myself. So mm-hmm. it's quiet. Should we get into your painting? Yeah, we sure. Yeah. As an artist? We, yeah. Can, we can like loop back into sports and sobriety. And, Nobody else and wants to hear about the sports. It's just the three of us. I, mean, I, I <laughs> can talk about basketball. We didn't even talk about soccer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I do want to say about my soccer team, which is really fun, is I have three women on my soccer team that are over 70 years old. That's amazing. So it's also super, that's super fun. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that's something else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so, I mean, staying on that note, we can, we can, we can just kind of see where things go. <laughs> One of my neighbors, and we got to have him on the podcast at some point, he's 82 years old, and he will paddle his kayak from Steveston to the Burrard Bridge. Cool. He'll ride his bike over 100 kilometers. Like, he's like, you only get old when you let, it, when you let old in. He's yeah. like, I'm, my, my kids are older than me. And he's 82. Like he's like, yeah. like, he's got his barbells in his garage, and, like, it's amazing. It is. He could outdo me. In so many physical ways, and like he's not slowing down. Yeah, I think that's the that's such a beautiful part of it, and like integrating, as you had said, like yeah. integrating those people into our lives, even if it's like a neighbor, yes. right? Because you might not be able to have them on your team, depending on whatever yeah. sport it is or the yeah. league or this or that. But like you can still be intentional about integrating those experiences. And like, yeah, just I started swimming because my daughter is like swimming. Yeah. So then when they said no spectators, I was like, okay, well, I'll just jump in the pool and then I can kind of like peek over and, yeah. you know, still <laughs> she's be like, oh, God. <laughs> but no, no, she's at the age now where yeah. she still Dad's loves it. Cannonballs. Yeah. Yeah, like How old she is she? She's, <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. like, hey, don't mind me. <laughs> yeah. But I like started swimming and really love it. And I always see this guy because he's like finishing up his swim mm. as we're getting there. Yeah. And so I jump in the lane and we just kind of like say, hey, what's up or whatever. And he's, he's older. And so just on Monday, I was like, hey, like, how often are you here? He's like, I swim every day. Mm. He's like, I'm 84. And he, he does, I was like, what? Like, he looks way younger than that. He's like, I'm not fast like you. But he's like, I just keep going. And he said the exact same thing. He's like, as soon as you stop, you're done. Yeah. And he's like, so I just come every day and swim, you know. Just go, some days it's 500 up. meters. Some days I make it all the way to 1,000 or more. So and good. I'm like, yes. And he's like trying to downplay it. And I was like, that's the inspiration. Like, this yeah. Anyway, yeah. to integrate those experiences, right? Into yeah, and I think like I, I think we're seeing more of this, which I'm stoked about. But I remember seeing the Leonard Cohen exhibition in Montreal after he passed away. They did mm. a big, a big like kind of th- thing for him, a tribute. And he didn't start till he was 36. And was, I was so inspired. Wow. There's these things also that we can start like later in life yes. too. Right? I, I watched that documentary that you guys recommended on uh, Joe. 
um, Joe, um, oh, Joe Buffalo. Buffalo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And to be a pro skater at 43 years old Insane. or whatever, right? Like, just so cool. And I, I love those kinds of stories too. I'm definitely spending more time with people who are older, and it's just a blast. Yeah. Super good. I love that. I love all of, all of the connections that we share. And I think, um, like yourself, like I wore a lot, I, I still wear a lot of hats. Like I like sports, I like art, I like spirituality. And it's like, you know, people want you to be one thing and they get confused when you're like a jock, but you also are yeah. an artist. And, you know, it, 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 I think there are parallels and symmetry between all of them. And um, I love that you you dance the dance between between these different kind of ways of, of living. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. These, so getting into your your role and life as an artist um do you find painting and creating art to be a spiritual experience for you oh well so i'd have to go back a bit before that question i think it would be that um so this is always this has been the way i've made a living so yes. there's a very distinct kind of yes there's a spontaneity yes, yes there's a holiness yes there's like i get to participate in something magical i get to make something every third day or fourth day that i never seen before that just appeared from somewhere that i don't understand so mm. there is a there's magic and i get to uh, dance with it all the time that said yes. it, i have we we run a small little operation and we've mm -hmm. been doing it for 16 years and there's a there's a certain degree of pragmatism that's required for me to you know make a living and um a and quite a bit of like uh, there's deadlines and timelines and staff and brick and mortar locations and all these things so it's like a lot to kind of think about so yes. um with the pleasure and like um you know, the privilege of getting to do what I'm doing, there's come a lot of like aches and pains um, and uh, pressure. I would say like until this, like this last year, I would say is like my best year. And actually even this last couple months is like the best months of my career. But I would say that it's been like a real little pressure cooker. Yes. Well, like any entrepreneur. Yes, you're a businesswoman. I'm a businesswoman as much as I'm a painter. Okay, one thought, and I'll just kind of see what you think of it. Like, I think creativity is, like, inherently spiritual mm -hmm. because it is a mystery. I don't know where it comes from. Yeah. Um, so kind of, like, connecting some of the dots from what we've talked about of of keeping space for mystery and, and kind of the holiness. Like, sometimes when I'll get an idea, it's, like, whose idea is that? Mm -hmm. And um, I'm always like curious about that notion of creativity and ownership around creativity and, and where it comes from. And, and you obviously live a creative life, even if it has deadlines and it has structure, because in many ways we need structure and we need consistency and we need deadlines to yeah. kind of keep moving, moving forward or mm -hmm. moving in a direction. Um, but I, I'm always... Um, in awe of where ideas and where creative inspiration comes from. Mm, I was just listening to uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's TED Talk today, The Creative Elusive Genius, and she runs us through the brief history of like where the actual creative genius kind of comes from, and yes. she speaks to that in that um, TED Talk. But she talks about how before we put all this pressure on the little tiny human being to be a genius, genius was something that was like divinely given to you. And the 
the the cool thing about that was that you got to kind of like borrow it and like kind of try it on every once in a while and like it wasn't totally your fault if it didn't work out like so you don't have this like 27 year old uh like musician carrying the weight of the world and like using substances because they want to end their life because their you know tour went under or whatever like this crazy pressure that we put on people to like look at all of the talented musicians and and creative geniuses that we've lost over the years right and she suggests that it's largely to do with the amount of pressure that we ha- we put on them mm. for having to like constantly like come be like the epicenter of this like demand mm. And that possibly she suggests that genius can come and just gently visit us and like give us a, bring us a song or bring us a poem and like, thank you so much for visiting. That was cool. Thanks. You know, and, and, and I think the other thing that people forget about, and it's just not as romantic, but it's true. It's like, it's like, I can still pitch a softball like really fast because I used to do it 25 years ago. Right. there's muscle memory associated with sport and there's muscle memory. Like I can make certain paintings Mm -hmm. because I've practiced (laughs) like literally the same way someone could pick up a violin or be a ballerina or whatever we marvel at that we're like wow you just picked up that violin it's like yeah I literally do it eight hours a day so like I can produce a lot of work and that's been a blessing because I've been able to I'm a lot more prolific than a lot of people um and that that's like a a generous and ample and like plentiful joyful thing because it's it's easier to make a living if you've got more paintings rather than less paintings so that's like just a bonus like I'm just so so lucky that the way I make work happens to be efficient as Mm. well so there's like a lot of things that have had to line up in order to kind of like there's like and and every once in a while I get a little magic sauce or like some special sauce Mm. but like I set it up with routine I set it up for success with like you know, exercise, meditation, the right kind of food. And I have horrible days too, where like my mental health is really bad or I'm, I'm emotional. Like I get a text for about my, from my kids from high school. Like this last couple of months, I've been leaving the studio every second or third day, like helping my teens with various things. And it's like, it's really challenging um, to concentrate, you know, on this so-called magic. Um, I, so I think debunking the myth that like artists just sit around and are like, you know, just waiting for inspiration mm-hmm. to kind of like fall on them is like a total myth that I've been determined to kind of, um, yeah, demystify over the course of my career. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think the magic, this is something we talk about a lot, is um, maybe it's not that romantic notion that we're talking about, but maybe it's being consistent in something? Totally. And like re like repracticing things. Those juices didn't get perfect. You like I'm talking about the juice truck. You like, you know, it's well, I'm just saying like (laughs) it was pretty. I just had one. And it's like you tried like no chef like made the perfect ravioli. Mm -hmm. It's like practice. So there's like 100,000 hours that went into that. And, you know, and a little bit of luck and right timing and like fortunate circumstances and 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 like good health, like without Mm -hmm. my health, like, I you know, these are these are things people kind of don't you know think about um mm-hmm. and the support of my partner over the many years on and off and on and off we supported each other and it's like this is this all this magic didn't just happen yeah. like in a, like like a fairy dust of inspiration you know there's a lot of pragmatism that was involved yeah mm-hmm. we love the stories of like overnight success and yeah. then you hear the actual person and they're like yeah there's no no it wasn't overnight <laughs> like here i here i've been for the last like two decades like 
working at this and now sure like now you all know who I am whether it's like an artist or a musician or whatever it might be someone breaks out and it's like no I've been doing this for a long there's no there's no overnight here totally (laughs) right it's like what that Josh Groban he got to sing with like um Celine Dion like he was Mm. just a young boy and Andrea Botticelli I think was supposed to show up but got sick or whatever it was like when preparation meets um opportunity or whatever that what's that saying it's like he just happened to be in that city he just happened to be available but he also happened to have been practicing for however right like yeah has a lot of fucking choir practice (laughs) so like so to be be called up for that yeah and so they're like oh you're the one and it's like that didn't happen overnight it's like I always like it but but also these miracles these fun kind of like it is exciting to like mm-hmm. think that things can kind of change course within a few moments and, and it's exciting, but it has a lot to do with, yeah, like pragmatism and practice. Yeah. So yeah. do you think, do you think that everyone's an artist, everyone's a creative and yet they've just like neglected it while others have practiced it or are some people like gifted in certain ways above and beyond like the masses? Yeah. I mean, I think we know there's like a certain, like people have, I mean, we could go back further. Like, if you look at kids, like, are all people creative? Yes. Children look at the world with childlike wonder, Mm -hmm. and they slop the paint around, and there's no inhibitions. Like, these things are kind of, like, beat out of us through, like, high school or whatever, like, various systems and teachers and, like, um, you know, different reasons why, you know, kids stop singing, you know, that's like sad, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. So yeah, are we all creative for sure? And do many of us get to return to creativity and find a home base there? Absolutely. And not just professionally, just that, that you get to start to sing again in your kitchen and throughout your daily life and on your run. Like that is a return to creativity. Like again, Elizabeth Gilbert's book, The Big Magic, right? Returning to these things that like make us feel alive. Um, but yeah, there's, of course, there's like genetic predisposition, you know, people have like a tendency to like be inclined certain ways, um, or look inside, my brother would look inside the hood of a car and was instantly fascinated in a way that I wasn't right. And never will be. So we do have these and, and it's our, you know, when we're fortunate enough to be able to kind of follow that thread, then we get to find, you know, really find if there's some magic there, that's Mm. like, we find ourselves very fortunate to get to do that. Yeah. I love that. I, I, I think I'm, I'm curious to like where some people may have, you know, th- as a child, they had creativity, they were dancing, they were drawing, they were singing all these things. And then at some point, somebody projected a limiting belief on them that stuck for whatever reason. And, and they lost that, that kind of joy. And um, if we can kind of shift that limiting belief system to like an unlimited belief system of, of where creativity might go especially with like teens and yeah. and um children and stuff so do, do you see that like being a mother of two teenagers at all like where self-belief and I would say it's the school system mostly and mm-hmm. then the peer pressure of the the kids to be um to <laughs> should we re- restart I don't know what's it? happening there yeah, I mean, I would say that what my dream for my children would have been um, school a school system that was more alternative, more different, more interesting, more radical, more, you know, but they chose high schools that are pretty, um, like, normal, I guess, or, like, what it would be the standard, and um, those are the ones in our catchment, and that's what they, where they want to be, and that's where their friends are, and so the, there's blessings in that, but the downside of it is that they are, um, yeah, not 
not sort of as free thinking as I would have imagined. I thought I would have had a much more, I would have raised my children in a much more radical kind of way. And I think they're in a much more normal sort of quote end quote um, uh, systems. And there's, there's challenges within that system. Those systems like we're just, I'm just getting my son into high school and I've gotten to know the vice principal very well. We're new friends, because, which I never, it's like the full-time job you never knew you never wanted to have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, okay, here we go. This is interesting. And um, man, it's a slog. And you know, you're, my aunt worked with like young teen boys who like kind of struggled on and off. And she's like, you're working within an archaic clunky system and you got to just find the, the, the one cool teacher or the one cool gym teacher, or whatever, and find the people and kind of just do the best that you can within this construct. So it's like, it sucks though, man. Like I, it, it makes me so frustrated, um, to the, like, because I've done a lot of youth work and I know in this, like, I have this utopian idea of like ideal, I guess, of like how I would love to see it be, but it's, it's harsh, man. It's frustrating. When I was at UBC, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but that's okay. When I was taking my, (laughs) when I was taking my, uh, bachelor's of education at an undisclosed unnamed (laughs) university here in British Columbia, (laughs) one of, one of the main faculty, on like how to teach yeah like young people effectively was giving us a lecture 400 teachers few future teachers in an enormous auditorium at the university sitting there and he was speaking to us from the front with his slides which had all of the words that he was saying to us telling us how lecturing from the front is the least effective way of teaching young people. And I remember being like, is this just like a good lesson in irony or are we being punked? Yeah. Is there was the camera. You're literally, <laughs> the worst. you are literally doing the thing you're telling us. All of the research is saying doesn't work. What? So <laughs> like, what the hell is going on? And I mean, that's the thing, right? When we have people come and say, yeah, bums in seats doesn't equal learning. And then you go into the school system. It's like, okay, everyone sit down. The bell rung. Yeah. Follow this, do this, copy do these this words, way. do this. And it's square. like, yeah. yeah. And it's like, no, no. And, it, and you know, I mean, the pandemic and everything now, it's so interesting being in the classroom because there are some, or there have been some like limitations on like mm-hmm. things you can do. But my goodness, some of the some of the kids like the experiences that they've had in high school. I'm like, this is brutal. It's so brutal, and that's very hard. I mean, we could talk about that all day. It's like really hard. And then what we lose too. We had a friend who was a really radical, cool teacher. He just got so tired of pushing up against like you know the convention and wanting to be different that he left. And so here we have these teachers leaving that get tired or they're underpaid. And the the cool ones, the ones that you're like, no man, you're the you're like the new generation. You're so radical and, and different. And yeah, it's really hard to see. But in, in answer to your question too, like we don't live in a culture where like the, the teens really want to be that different from each other. There's like this kind of herd mentality. And so in my house, I try to encourage them. Like I have a lot of teenage boys at my house often. I don't know why they like to come to my house, but um, I just keep feeding them food and they like to hang out. And we have some really good conversations as a result. But um 
they I said to them the other day what's more important being the same as each other or being different and they're literally eating the same things same backpacks same tech fleece like these guys are you know and um they're like being different and I was like yeah right you guys are so it's like you know but sometimes you'll see glimpses of it where we'll be skiing or like they'll do a TikTok dance so that's been actually really cool for both my teenagers TikTok and so stuff like that where like Mm -hmm. you see glimpses and you just have to take the glimpses and just be thankful yeah well it's funny how i mean we could talk about school forever like they teach you like it's so systemized and then you get into the real world and the real world world in many ways is collaborative or rewards people that are radically different because Mm -hmm, they're definitely they're the leaders they're the ones that step out of the box and see the world a little differently and innovate something or take a risk and and um I definitely didn't have that experience in high school. I, I had a very good high school experience, but it definitely didn't teach me to think independently. I got that through, you know, family or going to art school or just entrepreneurship. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, from you know various other things. But um, you know, school kind of teaches like the union mentality well, in a lot of ways, and like you know, there's a purpose for for unions for a lot of people, but. Yeah, uh, it doesn't always inspire innovation or, or revolution or evolution or any yeah. of those things. Yeah, and it's not physically wired for like we're not wired to sit down and sit still. And especially these young boys that I'm seeing that, I, you know, that I'm around the most, they're just like they want to get up and move. right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I wish it was. Yeah. I wish it was that way for you guys. I mean, if I can't finish an email now or I'm stuck, I like go for a run. Yeah, you know, totally. Or go move my body for mm-hmm. half an hour and then I'm like, oh, I can work again, yeah, you know? Like, totally. But I mean, I guess there's PE and sports and yeah. all those things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so getting back to the artist. <laughs> As an artist, you've gone to Montreal, you've come back, you've you know had shows in, in various cities around North America. Um, Vancouver, in my eyes, is kind of, famous for like not supporting artists until they've made it in other cities uh can you kind of talk about like the importance of the artist and the importance of supporting the creative community yeah there's a lot there's kind of like three three things in there one is the vancouver as a city and its character its tendency it's a very young city yes so it doesn't know a lot about art and art collecting so i spend a lot of my time with my clients in educating them yes. and actually help my clients build their private collections um, with emerging and mid-career mostly Canadian female artists Oof, as well so um, we just 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 got to participate in a house where there's like seven of us and it's all lady art it's it's a big massive beautiful project in Edmonton so these kinds of things I'm getting to see more and more in my career in my lifetime which I'm just so stoked about so um, that's Vancouver the city and then the rest of the question was kind of around community and like um, like the importance, one, of, of supporting the artist, but also the role of the artist in the community. Like uh, Yeah, totally. So one thing that we're seeing, like, that we're all really stoked about, I think everyone in Vancouver is stoked about, is Mural Fest. Yes, so that's, like, yes. a good example of, like, we can walk around and you can show your kid this mural. And, like, that literally gave $2,000 to, like, a 22-year-old, like, young art student. And their work is blown up. And they can Instagram it and, like, this is a real thing that ha- that really supports people. Mm-hmm. Whether just like, oh, that month they didn't have to work at the coffee shop um, or they got like this wider exposure. So these things are very important. And then when people are, um, you know, 
even with when we shop locally, like it's just, it's a literal purchase. It's, it's like, I've been able to make a living because people have bought my stuff over buying stuff from like HomeSense or wherever. I don't know what would be the comparable. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I've replaced a lot of Ikea and HomeSense art and kind of with, with great pleasure taking it off the wall. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've been like, ah, this is coming off your wall. You can have the same art as 8,000 other people. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, so thankful. Um, So, yeah, it's like I think that oftentimes, especially earlier in my career, when my price points were lower, um, I was and still am like oftentimes people's first piece, first real piece. And so I have had a million conversations with people about what it's meant to them too to start collecting for the first time. They're like, oh my gosh, once you get a real one, you're like, you, you bring it home and you really want more. And so I think more promotes more in that sense of like, I always think that once people start, it's like buying a really like well-made ethically made like type of shirt. It's like, you're not going to get 20 now. You're not really going to go back to Zara. You're hopefully going to like keep trying to find these like really cool dope things like at the secondhand store whatever and so hopefully there's like this culture of the only way I'll participate in product like the sale of products so I have like rug lines and I've I've done mirror lines before and um, done like hand painted credenzas and stuff is that um, I refuse to participate in planned obsolescence so Mm. um, for me product design has to be something that's lasting forever so hopefully my things actually uh, 99% chance that all of the things that I make will outlive me. So our rugs should last a really long time, a lifetime. They should be passed down to your grandkids. And, you know, eventually these things will will fade away. But, um, yeah, that's how I've kind of made peace with any sort of product design as well. So, yeah, it matters. It's like what's literally, you know. And that's why I spend a lot of time thanking my customers. I spend a lot of time in gratitude, not just like theoretically. Like we spend, a, like I used to host these dinners um, pre-COVID. Every year I'd have all my collectors come to a dinner a couple times a year sit with each other amongst strangers and they would have a meal and so it was like super fun called the collector's dinner and um there's nothing was for sale like the walls would be intentionally blank and there was nothing the point was to just say thank you so so that they knew what it meant and they could see the faces of of everyone else who had physically supported me and my kids because otherwise i would have another job like i wouldn't be able to do this Mm -hmm. creating community through art yeah do do you have a a daily gratitude practice or or is that just something that you you live into yeah i I, like i write every morning i have like a 20-year practice with my journal so i i write and like yeah not so formal but thankful yeah i love that okay one more question and then we can see see where we go um i kind of see art as like when you want to learn about the history of a, a time or place, you kind of look at what the artists were creating. Mm. Um, and with art going digital, like we've got NFTs now and we've got, you know, artists that create on Instagram and there's like, in some ways there's less physical art. Like how, how will our future generations like define our culture through art? I'm uh, I'm the wrong person to ask about that <laughs> because I'll tell you why. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really care. Yeah. Um, and I don't I don't not care about your question. It's just I don't I I don't I don't tend to go too far in the future mm-hmm. just personally. And so I just concern myself with my client, yeah. my soul, my wellness, and then making sure that because I do custom work, so I do a lot of custom commissions for private clients and interior designers. So I'm really concerned with that things are working out for them 
exactly right here, right now. Mm-hmm. And um, I've never been future oriented, so mm-hmm. I'm not sure. And yes. uh, it feels all really ethereal and, and very like kind of daunting and bigger than me. Well, maybe just that's the secret, be in the present <laughs> and create, create for the now yeah. and the future will happen in the yeah. future. I mean, I, for me, it's like, I want to read a book that was made about now for now. You know, it can still be historical fiction about something, from yes. but like, I want to know that like the song, like if I'm, I'm going to a live concert tomorrow night, like that I get to see a person breathing into a microphone and like singing about the heartache that they had last month. Like to me, that is like what's alive. That's most alive for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. And it brings it yeah, right into that moment. I think we spend a lot of time like in the past, often like the painful past or we live into the anxious future. Right. Yeah. But like just being fully here and now is probably the best practice we should all have. Yeah. Not to say like don't think about the future or whatever. But yeah. yeah, when it comes to art, I mean, it will be very interesting to see how it evolves and changes. And I think that you would be part of that because you will probably be creating yeah. as long as you're able and can, right? Like you want to do that. And so you are going to be part of like what future generations would say is like, this was the art of that day or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, another way to answer that question is that like, we don't know because yes. like, because like I have a friend who's like a really like high level production designer for massive projects. And like at times, like they don't know what, uh, if it's going to go out on like Netflix or HBO or like, whatever right like they don't know literally what channel is going to take it up or like what's coming in six months and these are the top of the top of the top you know so it's like if they don't know then like we don't know anything you know so it's like it's pretty wild it's like the wild west in terms of like in each of the arts we're seeing like just like who knew that spotify would exist like however long ago as a singer that you would be like you know, strumming your guitar and then know that you'd make four cents off of like, or that a pandemic, like, it's just like, yeah. How can we know? Well, there's this one stat I remember reading that like 90% of the jobs that exist didn't exist when you were five years old. Whoa. Like I think about when, when you're five or when I think about when I was five, there was no Google, there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, there's no Spotify, there's no Netflix, there's no Tesla. They're like pilot, veterinarian. That's what we all want. Yeah. (laughs) Veterinarian. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Doctor, pilot, veterinarian, (laughs) lawyer. Yeah. Um, So like thinking about like projecting that forward, we don't, exactly what you're saying we don't know what the future yeah. is going to be like because it's uh it will be radically different than it is today yeah and the only thing we know too is that it's changing so fast and that it's changing uh, like at a speed that we just like can't yes. possibly mm-hmm. even fathom keep up with yeah so okay last last question i have and then we can either hit some random fire or dinner you might have a few up your sleeve but um there's like this perception that I experienced when I was in art school that you couldn't be creative and have a business. Mm-hmm. And you've kind of smashed that stereotype uh, into a million pieces. So I just wanted to ask you what it's like running a creative business and, and how you kind of navigate that. Yeah, and I, I mentioned this before, but it's come with a shit ton of responsibility. Yeah. Like it's been extremely painful at times, difficult like to carry a, a lot bigger overhead or to... I've had staff now for seven, almost eight years, uh, just one one to four at, at any given time, and um, people, human beings, you know, and uh, now we have a brick and mortar showroom. Um, so it's just like, you know, it there's like a lot of um, 
you know, with a lot of privilege comes a lot of responsibility. And I, I feel very fortunate to do what I do. But I also, in the same breath, like, I chose this. Like, mm-hmm. I have to remind myself like, mm-hmm. every day I wake up, like, and I'm like, oh, God, I have to make that gray painting for Susan. Like, <laughs> you know, like, it's like, no, like, that's not every morning at all. But, you know, every once in a while I look in the mirror and I'm like, lady, okay, first of all, like, stop. Like, mm. look at what is going on. All of us, like. I don't have no patience for that from myself. And second of all, like I chose this, like, and also like, I'm not trained in anything else. So like, you know, this is what's happening. (laughs) Maybe a future in the WNBA. Who knows? Well, I mean, you know, there's, it's like secret practice. Don't like, come on, humility. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel, yeah. I, I mean, I think that goes back to your gratitude and, um, I do think that's a, a missing piece at a lot of schools though is teaching like the commerce side of things to give mm-hmm. to give artists yeah. like a capacity to have that choice and, and kind of follow their their pursuit and their passion yeah and like a lot of times when I speak to young people like at high schools or universities I always talk like also if you're truly introverted like that's what a gallery is for the gallerist is like dressed up and that's why they take 50% because they package the thing and they ship the thing and they like photograph the thing like there also are ways that you don't have to participate in all of those things you don't have to wear so many hats so I do think that there's this like there is this myth it's like a double-edged sword in the sense that like I do teach young people to like take proper photos and like run their own Instagram and do their shit there's something called Thrive Studios which is amazing um and that's for young lady artists and um non-binary artists but you know it's like besides Thrive like there's not a ton of resources available I mean there's more and more every day but to kind of teach you how to how you how to do that but in the same breath like if you don't want to like mm-hmm. know your limit play mm-hmm. within it like mm-hmm. find your strengths and then like find your friend who's like who's good at you. sales or like good yeah. at photography or like wants to help you like trade yeah. them a piece of art like because mm-hmm. you don't have to do everything yourself you know yeah. so I think that that's kind of like tricky thing it's yes. kind of a bit sticky these days yeah. young people feel like they have to do it all yeah yeah it's true right because yeah. they the perception is you can do everything yeah you want to like, own a bike shop well you gotta just you gotta do 900 things it's like how yeah yeah and that's where like teaching those skills and collaboration yeah is like better than just okay go be the solo entrepreneur and know how to do everything and be good at everything and be successful at everything and like add all of this extra pressure to your life already dying on the inside yeah (laughs) when it comes back to like what your inside matching your outside like is this something that brings you life and brings you joy that you're passionate about and you're good at yeah then go for it if it's like not and what's inside is like dying yeah. to keep up this appearance like maybe it's time to like let some of that stuff go yeah it's hard and if your art is your business it's like expecting me to do everything at the juice truck like make every single juice make every single smoothie like do the accounting like that's crazy and there's a time for that like i did it by myself of you course. know with my you know with my like partner at the time and for, for here and there we'd you know patch it slap it all together like yes. it was a you know shit show but it was <laughs> yeah. like you know, we did our best, but yeah, at some point there's like a breaking point where you can't do it all yourself if yeah. you're going to expand. Of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, should we do some some random fires? Let's Is there it. anything that we didn't? What's a random fire? We used to call it like rapid fire. Oh, it's too fast. But it's like the questions <laughs> are, are like usually pretty random <laughs> in the rapid fire. Random fire so is like, gentler. We did a little rebrand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or someone else did a rebrand for us. Yeah. They were like, these are just random questions. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, they're not that rapid. I was like, mm, true. That's true. Yeah. Do you have to like talk really fast. You're like, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is where we like. So if you're listening to this now, 
change your podcast speed to half speed. <laughs> yeah. It's coming up. Quick. Random yeah. fire. Uh, okay. Resilience. Resiliency. Uh, you, before your po- we were podcasting, you talked about your love for cold plunging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a cold plunge practice that started a couple years ago and we all gather at the edge of the beach at sunset beach at eight thirty on Saturday mornings. And we, um, hang out, talk, catch up, uh, and then, you know, strip down and jump in the water and we go in for 10 minutes and when we're standing in the water. We say what we're thankful for. So every week it's kind of like a check-in and, uh, you know, the group changes, whoever's away or coming or whatever, but you also get to know people through this one practice, this one ritual. So it's super fun. So I got brought into it because I went for one a cold plunge in White Rock and with a bunch of ladies jumped right in I jumped right out and I turned around and they were still in the water and I was like, <laughs> what are you all doing in there and they were like well, we stay in and I was like for how long and they were like 10 minutes I was like what yeah. so I went back in stayed in and, and I've been doing the practice ever since like Amazing. it's you feel really good afterwards so what's it like being in the cold water for for 10 minutes like yeah it's just it depends on the week like it really yeah. depends on like where we're at in our cycle for women and um where you're at just like in your mental health or you're sometimes you're really scared to do it like you know it just depends on where you're at. it's a good it's a good reader of where you're at mm. or sometimes you can overcome it better than you thought you could and so it's good it's very moving you cool. know kind of strips down what matters and then you're in there with kind of the the acorn or the nugget of like whoa okay what matters to me this Mm. week like holy shit yeah so i love that we've heard about like cold plunge i mean it's not new like people have been doing it for a long time but the conversations that we've had it's interesting that it's always like women that are doing it. We've got a lot of cold plungers in the yeah. podcast. Fiona, Fiona Fiona and i do it together yeah yeah steph daycare emma emma yeah yeah, we were just bored during COVID. Like, honestly, no. that's all. I mean, it's, it's like, like sourdough it, and cold plunge. Yeah, yeah. T- it was kind. It kind of <laughs> fell in that category. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to lie. But also, um, yeah, I think that like we like like I like being in. Com- I was a community organizer before COVID. Like yeah. I I co-founded a group for female entrepreneurs. I was like Amazing. the co you know, of, of the female design council was is from New York. And we were just getting that off the ground here in Vancouver. So I loved getting people together. That mm-hmm. was like a big part of my personality so the second i was like we can text and organize something where we're outside and not wearing masks i was like hallelujah <laughs> let's sign go. me out i don't care where it is and i was like obviously this thing is crazy i so. wish we could call plunge here in steveson but the water's a little gnarly yeah. so we might have to come uh do some cannonballs on your, it's good for uh, your immune system mm-hmm. yeah i love it <laughs> i love the i love getting in cold water for sure as yeah, crazy as it does sound like it, there's something so magic about it and yeah but it's just i think it's cool that like it is maybe seen as more of like a masculine thing like oh, brave off, the cold you know yeah, yeah, maybe our off, only definitely. like definition of what that might look like yeah, yeah. yeah i've only ever done it I mean, we do it with all with all everybody so it's all yeah it's all good we might have to crash their party sometime yeah too. anytime i'm always invited yeah okay basketball are you like a like a jump shot or like a layup like drop like post up kind of what's your what are those (laughs) (laughs) just kidding (laughs) is that where is the ball going in the hoop Uh, yeah Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm just like fast and enthusiastic. Yeah. And I like that. <laughs> no, I play close to the. Yeah, I yeah. can't shoot from far away. Okay. I'll feed it to the shooter. I'm yeah. like a good assister. There you assister? go. <laughs> yeah, you're a sister. I'm a sister. Sister. Amen, sister. Yeah, that's me. So like, do you want to look good? Oh, you look like your ego needs more inflation. Here you go. Here have you the go. ball. Yeah. yeah. Let me help you out with that. Okay. I'm. I'm. I guess I'm a sister too. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just feed it out to the shooters. The They're good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're fine so good uh okay we'll go from levity to maybe something a little more uh with some depth but uh you talked about forgiveness a little bit what does yeah. that what does that mean to you what does that word mean to you or or practice well i the only way through is through forgiveness mm. there is no halfway with that I didn't understand that until very recently. I was like, oh, I'll still have my toe in this part of unforgiveness. Or when he apologizes this way, I'll forgive. Or after I, or so long as there is no freedom unless you have absolute forgiveness. And so if we were to properly be able to teach each other how to completely forgive one another, and if we were able to actually employ that, there's this, there's this, infinite freedom mm. available on the other side. It says on the door of my studio, there's, there's, um, there's freedom in, in forgiveness. You know, it's like, there's no, there's no freedom without forgiveness. And the only way through it is through it. And it's, it's been, I, I didn't understand that until recently. It's my liberation. It's, it's like, it's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, you're carrying something that's so heavy and you realize that it's only you that's carrying this big black heavy sack. And then you look down and you're like, oh my gosh, it's my hand mm -hmm. that's clenched. It's my fist that's like wrapped around this thing with such tenacity. And I literally have the choice to let go. And it's, I've been able to learn that a lot this last year. This last year, I've been able to learn about my relationship to control. And I, and I'm, I still need, I have a lot of work to do on that. But the forgiveness one has come pretty clearly lately. It's like, you can, you yeah. can hold on for as long as you want. But you can also let go at any right now, if you wanted to, if you, if, if you want, we can like mm -hmm. it's, and that is the only place. And I want to carry my peace around with me. I don't want my peace to be conditional. Mm. So I'm learning how to cultivate that through that. I mean, mostly from the untethered soul, that book, the untethered soul by Michael Singer, but, um, it's, it's not conditional. I, I want to get to that place where. You know, it's my, my freedom is, is a choice that's like comes without condition. Thank you for sharing that. That yeah. is so beautiful. That was very good. Yeah. Thank you. For, for someone that may be listening to this and, and they're looking, they're seeking forgiveness, whether for, for self or for other, and, and they're, they're finding it difficult. Is there any, any like first steps towards, uh, finding forgiveness that you've found helpful? You know what? I've been fortunate enough. I have a really, really good therapist and mm. I'll always tell everyone like yeah. that if you're not in therapy or haven't done the season of it, just a season, like say 12 sessions of freedom about your, you know, you want to forgive your dad, go through, you know, find, you don't have to be in therapy all the time, but some sessions to like clear, like do a massive clean interior cleaning, like a nice spring cleanup. Like for me, that's like the number one. And then I would say it's been through the experience of being fortunate enough to meet people who actually have forgiven where you're like, okay, what, what do you, what is that? Because 
there's some sort of glow about you that's like doesn't look like you're carrying around the weight of the world right because then you meet other people and they're burdened you can physically see it they're like i'm i'm exhausted and it's joe's fault and i'm tired and my job sucks and my boss did this to me and blah 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 and all those are just like little resentments that are that person literally not being willing or wanting to like actually you know and so these it's like small practices but also like observation of people who i i've been fortunate enough to see like what is that special magic juice that you have and (laughs) people are like i forgave him a long time ago honey blah blah blah, you know and you're like okay whatever that is like perfect sign me up because it looks like a lot more fun you know you really do see it on people like you can see some people have the burden of the weight of the world on their shoulders and other people that have seemingly gone through very difficult things are, are light and at peace. And yeah, you're right. We've got to learn from, from well, those, those, those people. The masters. the masters depends on the day, too. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, it's not a perfect practice. And yeah. it's like it's a rene- it's a practice of renewal. It's like the infinite fountain. Like you're always yes. welcome to come to it. Like you have to you know it's it's regenerative and it has to be like constantly like attended to you know and it's like it's pretty good mm. on the other it. side i love that yeah what else you got there dina uh you said something earlier when we were talking to and i just love if you could sort of unpack it with us to uh compassionate inquiry what does that look like what is that practice for you or f- for someone who is like, yeah, I think I need that. I think I need some of that in my life. Yeah. So someone comes to you with something that's really challenging. Someone pisses you off at work. Someone bumps your car. Um, something. Let's take the bump your car. You get out of the car and you say, hey, where, where are you coming from? Or how did that go for you? Or yeah, why did, did you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Rather than like guns a blazing. Like it's like kind of like yeah. innocent until proven guilty is my perspective. Yeah. Like a better example would be, um, I've had I like, that yeah. <laughs> like yeah. how are things, yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> typically it's like, what the fuck is wrong with yeah. you? Right? And it's like, that. like my kids spilt milk on my j- lap or something. I don't know. Like, yeah. we don't know. It's like, comes from that place of like, but it's like, um, I, 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 with one of my children, I recently had an incident where I could have I could have blasted them. They were wrong. They did something wrong, right? It was, they got caught. It's not, there was no, uh, there's no gray area around. Yeah. Like, so, um, but I met them on their bed, sitting down eye to eye, or sometimes we do it in the car. We're driving in the same direction. So it's really important to have, to set yourself up for success in terms of your body and timing. Mm-hmm. And we don't come in guns a blazing in the moment when the thing itself is happening, but a little later when everyone's had some time to simmer it. And so how was that for you? Or why did, why did you make that choice? Or like, so, so graffiti, huh? Cool. <laughs> like, you know, just kind of like, but you learn so much, blah, blah, blah. It was the teacher's fault. Oh, why would it be the teacher's fault? Oh, that's fascinating. But like, do you take responsibility for your own actions? Well, yeah, but he said this, oh man, that must've hurt your feelings. And like, why not? Like, mm-hmm. I think we're always, we're often in, I've been like a lot of times with parenting, I've been in such a rush and so short-tempered and so overworked um, that I didn't meet my kids there, and I mm. lost a lot of um, information, uh, like a like a, an opportunity to get to gain a lot of information and to actually listen. Yeah, well, that's good. I think that's so good as someone, yeah, who has kids or someone who has relationships, connections, yeah. friendships, yeah. bosses, yeah. has conversations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Car accidents? Car accidents. <laughs> exactly. I love that. Yeah. Next exactly. time I get a little 
<laughs> little how are you bump up. I'm going to use that. Hey. <laughs> how, did that, how did that go for you? How was that experience? Was it the same experience that I just yeah. had? Let, yeah. Let's hear your perspective. Yeah. Oh, was I in your way? I must have been. I shouldn't have been. Let's have a coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys can bond. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, I got one more and then, Dina, you can land her unless uh, you got more up your sleeve. Maybe you do. Um, you mentioned your book club and I'm like, uh, I love just collecting books because even if I don't read them, just like having inspiration around me of, uh, you know, wise, wonderful people. Uh, and you mentioned having a book club or being a part of a book club. So I'm always curious, like, what books uh, have you gifted to others the most in your life oh my or gosh. have had a <laughs> uh, serene impact on, on your life? Every bookstore in the Lower Mainland is does not have the untethered soul in it because every time I go in, I just buy what however many copies there are. And they, like my partner's like, what is this stack of? And I'm like, that's the giveaway pile. So <laughs> I would give that book. If I could go on a desert island and take one book, it would be The Untethered Soul okay. by Michael Singer. But um, I'm reading um, Hold On To Your Kids by Gabor Mate and um, Gordon Newfeld right yes. now. And it's so good but so preteen good. especially like I read it when my kids were younger and I don't know how like I, I've had other parents say that, that that resonated but I it resonates a lot as like as a teen as a mom of teens um, and preteen I would preteen I would say anyways hold on to your kids is wonderful um, my favorite kind of like fictional enjoyable book is um, well I'm currently reading Shantaram which is like a big oh, huge yeah. it's so it's good amazing. what a wonderful adventure it's like reading a movie like, how's that like, not a movie yet it, okay so apparently it's going to be coming a movie which we're, we're, we're yeah uh, so I can't wait yeah well I don't know yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but another book that's that I love is called uh, Just Kids. It's the story between Patty, Patty, Patty Smith, Smith right? and Robert Maplethorpe and their love story. They have this like beautiful, unconventional love that it's so beautiful and tender the way they take care of each other. And it's just such a wonderful book. So, yeah, I'm a huge fan of reading. I, on our book, called the last one we completed was called Dare to Lead, which I'm sure you've read with uh, you and Ryan. You know, I took a real so break from good. reading business books and like self-development books. I yeah, kind of like I think that's very smart. I just read taking like those fast fantasy now. Good, <laughs> like nerdy books. When you're ready, yep. I really liked that one. Dare, Dare, Dare to, to Lead. lead. I, okay. I would say anybody in a leadership role, um, it's really good. And actually, the she does the audiobook herself, which is Ooh, just enjoyable because her well, her yeah. it's her and it's her voice, and she's quite cute. So. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that book as well. So I could go on forever. I love reading. So cool. Well, maybe mm -hmm. we'll get a little reading list for you yeah. uh, when this episode comes out. Fun. Have you read, um, I don't usually share the ones that I gift the most, but have you read um, Name of the Wind? No. It's like a nerdy a fantasy book, <laughs> okay. but I think I have to get you a copy because <laughs> okay, I cool. gift that one the most. And um, Golden Spruce. Okay, you, yeah. I do. That was. It's been a long time, though, since I read The Golden yes. Spruce, so I will revisit. I, I just read... Um, Reread the Hidden Life of Trees or the Secret Ooh, Life of yes. Trees. Oh yeah, oh, I love very those. Very good. Yes. Golden Spruce is very good too. Yeah, my brother lives up way up in the middle of nowhere, and he loves that book. Suzanne yeah. Simard has one too, the Search for the Mother Tree. Okay, yes. which is like, oh my gosh, yeah. I gotta send you this podcast we just list, both oh, listened yeah. to on on trees too. Okay, trees. We don't have to get into this too deeply because we could go for a while. But the old growth trees, like here on mm. the West Coast, like they are growing the the soil is becoming like depleted of, of nutrients because of deforestation and all sorts of things. But so these these old growth trees are evolving. They're they're creating their own soil systems in the canopy from the leaves and the debris and everything. And they're growing roots from the top and going into the soil that they're growing themselves to be able to like 
get the nutrients they, they need. They're growing their own ecosystem as we cut them down at record-breaking speed. But and like trees will grow on the trees. Yeah. I think I feel like I saw that in <laughs> the. Nuts. I was just in a crazy forest on the way to Tofino. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, probably. And I feel like I saw I saw that and was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Yeah. You know? Wow, it's so impressive. That's so cool. Yeah. So cool. That was on Radio Lab. Yeah. So check it out. Kay. Check it's it out, very, friends. Very cool. Tree things. Tree things. There we things. go. All right, Dina, cool. you wanna you wanna bring us home? Yeah, let's bring it home. So uh, Zach and I have this podcast. Obviously, we're so grateful that you joined us and we're generous with your time and your stories. And we called it a little more good because we believe in seeing that kind of unfold into the world in the many different ways in which it can. But we always like to ask our guests and end with this question: What does that mean to you? A little more good. Mm, that's so nice. Um. Yeah, it kind of st- reminds me of like the pay it forward. Like it's like a has that has that answer been done before? I'm no, like, no, like, go with it. Keep going. Yeah, well, I just feel like if you do a little more good for me, then I feel better. I, I'm more gentle and kinder when I get home, and then hopefully that that has a ripple effect. And so I feel really fortunate to be in your orbits. And uh, and uh, yeah, so the feeling is mutual. So yeah, that we that we bring forward and that information is shared freely. We we just like we are live so lucky to live in this generation that where we can share information freely and so that if if we have anything or one thing that we can say w- amongst one another that helps another person then that's a little more good yeah i love that so well so i think uh, you're creating an ecosystem that helps so many whether it's encouraging women to start businesses or artists to pr- pursue business or women to step on a basketball court yeah. with uh with boys and nick and, and drew i mean yeah. seriously those guys oh my gosh yeah. i can't wait to play basketball with everyone <laughs> so good uh, i think you're paying it forward to to many communities and mm-hmm. i'm grateful for your time and for the mm-hmm. space that Thanks. you're creating and holding so Thanks. Yeah. thank you Thanks. all right dina you ready to go shoot some hoops make some art let's do it do some things yes a little more good i love it i'm always into it all right yes you need like a little more good like 21 sh- shooters tournament or something yeah, big game of bump yeah that's right because like i feel like regardless of your ability to shoot a basketball like you can anyone can play bump it's just chaos it's chaos it's you so much fun. you don't hit that free throw anything can happen just hustle yeah you can, you can you can win by hustle yeah yeah oh my god i watched this like instagram video of uh LeBron James like when he was younger playing like bump or something like that and he was with some high school students and yeah. his his ball got bumped and he just like hustled back in and dunked it and just like the student that was behind him was going for a layup and he just like crushed like the 16 <laughs> year old like just how competitive these guys are yeah they can't even like lose and bump to like some high school students right there's like the high school student just like lying on the ground. <laughs> he just got off. posterized by LeBron James. <laughs> no mercy. No, no mercy. mercy. Unreal. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> LeBron James aside, that was a slam dunk conversation for sure. Yes, yeah. definitely. Definitely <laughs> was a slam dunk conversation. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that convo. Yeah. We've got more goodness coming your way every week, Tuesday. New new pods coming to the Podverse. If if you enjoyed that one, share it with a friend, write a review, post it up on your Instagram. You know, share it in whatever way resonates with you. It helps in spreading spreading the good word to the good people. Yeah, be sure to check out uh, Zoe's website zoepollock.com. 
as well as her uh, on Instagram, Zoe Pollock. And uh, you won't be disappointed. Beautiful images from a beautiful person inside and out. All right. Yeah. See y'all next week. Peace. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.